Hey, welcome back to another edition of Studio B Podcast. My name is Sarah Scott. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is here for emerging and independent musicians and really anyone who's interested in music. We sure like having you along too. We have open conversations and answer questions about the business of music. Behind the scenes, the good, the bad, the ugly, the inspiring, aspiring, and everything about this crazy thing that we call the music industry. We are hanging with the professionals themselves to give you real honest advice and real honest conversations we want you to grow learn and succeed and crush your goals as a musician artist singer songwriter performer professional and entrepreneur it is called the music business after all do you have any questions any topics you want to hear about just let me know we are available on facebook on our studio b podcast and on instagram as the exact same thing Well, this week, we are doing part one of a two-part topic. We are going to be talking with Cody Mack. So originally, this was going to be one podcast about booking agents and talent agents and booking your own shows as an independent or emerging musician. But we kind of got on a bit of a tangent about open mic nights, but it was really good and really informative as well. So I did break this topic up into two episodes. The next one's coming out next Thursday. So just have your eyes open for that and your ears peeled to be listening to it. So this week on Studio B, it is part one of Show Me, Don't Tell Me with our guest and professional Cody Mack. He is a freelance bass player and drummer and rhythm guitarist. He is also a booking agent and talent booker, and he is also a sound guy for some events. But we are having him here today to talk about what booking agents and talent agents are looking for when they are scouting out new talent so they can book them shows at bars and pubs and restaurants and get them gigs essentially and also we are talking about open mic nights I think it was a very important topic originally I wasn't going to bring it up until another podcast but this one I felt it fit and really good conversation about it and how important they are and how you can really utilize them to your benefit essentially to get your music out the word out about you they are very very useful and there are quite a few places in Edmonton Cal and even right here in High River that do a great job and have awesome audiences because they're receptive audiences. They're there to see some really cool original music or cover music, you know? And also we are talking about what your role is as an emerging or independent artist when it comes to booking shows and what these venues are expecting from you. Now we are going to be diving more into that in the second episode of Show Me, Don't Tell Me, but we are touching on it so we can give you a taste of it just a little bit today and give you a little bit of a sneak peek of what episode two is going to be about. That one is going to focus more about yourself booking the shows at the venues that you want to be booked at and what you should be looking at and how you can impress the booking agents and the talent agents and the restaurant managers. But this one, we're talking about, yes, the job of the booking and talent agents and open mic nights and a bit about what your job is as an independent or emerging artist when it comes to booking venues and shows. So we have some really good conversation topics in this first episode. So let's get things started. Here is part one of Show Me, Don't Tell Me with Cody Mack on Studio B. I'll be the rise to your song. I'll be 
you to Cody Mack for coming in today to Studio B. How was the drive down here? It was rather uneventful, but you know Highway 2. Sometimes it can be uber eventful. Uh, actually, on my way down here, there were two separate pieces of debris that were right in the middle of the road. One of them was what looked to me like a piece of a hay bale that didn't make it onto the truck, maybe. And then there was a piece of sheep, not like tin or something or something. Oh, kind I thought of like you said thin... sheep. I was sure. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Lisa would have had something to eat afterwards. I mean, that's kind of the thing. But uh, but yeah, there was some uh, there was some dodging. Uh, that had to happen. Thanks to my Italian design Mitsubishi, I was uh, able to corner around that just fine. There you go. They can send me my check, by the way. You got down here safely, mm. and they're totally a promo for us now. But that's awesome. You drove all the way down from Edmonton. Thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate you coming into the studio today. So let's talk about you. Let's get to know you. Tell us about your story. How did you get started in music and you? Well, I'll, uh, I'll get into detail because this is probably going to get cut anyway. Uh, now well, that you said that. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am a professional musician. I play bass, I play drums, I'm also a rhythm guitarist, I play with a bunch of artists, mostly emerging, a couple of sort of big timers, and I guess, jeez, uh, how did I get started? Kind of the family business thing. My dad was a professional musician for almost 50 years, and I just kind of followed in the footsteps because I figured that's what I was supposed to do, and it turns out it was, and I got lucky that I actually found something I loved by following someone else's lead, but here I am. Well, you're making your own path in a sense, you know, like people know you by your name and they're getting to know you more. And we'll talk more about that in a bit and how you're doing a bunch of more things now as a musician. Like you're not just a musician, you're our expert booking agent today <laughs> talking about booking venues. But you actually got your start in music in a rock band back in 2004. And that's where you kind of got into the swing of things. You're now working more closely in country. How did that transition? Back in, what was it? 2015 or 2016 I was doing uh, some acoustic solo stuff and I was doing all the rock and everything like that and I ended up getting a little bit of vocal fatigue so I had to take a break I did I had to not make money for a while and it was uh, a little concerning and I didn't I didn't know exactly what to do I wasn't sure if I was gonna get a day job or, or what, what am I going to do while I'm recovering I was given an opportunity to join a country band as a bass player for an emerging artist that kind of got me into into it a little bit. You know, the, the calls started after that. People saw me on stage, liked what I had to offer. I just kept on getting more and more work as I was going. Then I got involved with uh, Andrea Nixon as, uh, as a guitarist because uh, she needed one. She needed one last minute. I was around and said, hey, I can play. And uh, we ended up working with each other ever since. Country was always kind of in the blood a little bit. I was a big fan of Prime era country 80s and 90s that's all I listened to when I was a kid up until I was about 15 when that first Oasis album came out and that just blew my mind it was the second one that was the big one but the first one was like wow this is how rock music should always sound and then I got lost in Britpop for a while but as I was you know making money in country I realized whoa this this is really good this is fun to play it's so simple, it's hard, and and all the people were far nicer. They were, I wouldn't want to say better people, but they seemed to be a lot more receptive to who you were. They seemed to be a lot more receptive to wanting to know your story and wanting to know about you. There's more of a sense of community in, in Canadian country music and especially Alberta country music. Just felt like I belonged. And it was like, yeah, this is, this is kind of the thing now. And now I listen to 75% country these days and some 
Canadian indie rock just because I'm a fan and, you know, I, I love Always and, and bands like that. You know, those bands that make me feel, you know, vulnerable because there's a piece of me that likes that kind of music, you know. Definitely. And I mean, I will be honest, I don't listen to full-on country. I work in country all day, every day. So I get my fix of it for about 10 hours a day at work. So when I go to the gym, I listen to everything and anything. And it's mostly rock, actually. And sometimes screamo rap. I found that was a genre or something. I don't know if it's a genre. Well, but it is it's now. There. It is now. And uh, I think that's really cool. And I feel like a lot of... Like you said, Alberta musicians, not just in country, but in all genres, because we're touching on that with this podcast is all genres. We're very much family orientated and it's very much about who you know, not what you know, in a sense. And has that definitely benefited you over your growing career in country? It certainly benefited in my country music career. In rock, uh, well, I wouldn't want to say rock as a, I'm talking about it as a very general genre. Like that includes all of it. The talent pool is so deep. There's an opportunity for you to get to know people as you're going. You go to the Canadian Music Weeks, you go to the Breakout Wests and stuff like that. The same kind of principle works in rock, I find. It's more countrywide. There's a lot more locality going on. Like the the Kelowna people will hang out with the Kelowna people. Then you know the Edmonton people will hang out with the Edmonton people. And you know if there's any kind of mixing going on, it's usually because they went on the road with somebody for a little bit or for a little while. That's how I got to know a, a band called the Malibu Knights from Kelowna. I grew up with one of the guys in Leduc, but then you know they moved to Kelowna. They were doing their own thing, and then every time they would come up, we would do a show. Every time we'd go down there, we would do a show, and that's how you would get to know anybody from anywhere else outside of these conferences. But Canadian Music Week really helped us out by introducing us to some really cool people. But we also didn't play the game the way we should have, based on the fact that you know we were we were trying to manage ourselves. We didn't know everything. I didn't notice a lot of segregation it was nice for me because I was we were all mostly right downtown right so Mm. I just like bopped along to every little venue that I could but when you said that I kind of was like I kind of get that because I did see like the BC people hanging out with the BC people the Ontario people hanging out with the Ontario people the Calgary people hanging out with the Calgary people and it's kind of like we're very very comfortable but at the same time if we decided to go to the BC or Saskatchewan showcase or decided to go like a songwriter circle or decided to go hang out with a different group of people that weren't from our province or sometimes even our genre, because there was a little bit of off-country there too. Everybody was so welcoming. It was just like, what? Oh, yeah. But then I experienced this, actually, and I'm not trying to throw these guys under the bus by any means, but I'm going to be honest. I went to the YYC Music Awards, and I felt segregated. Like, I tried to talk to many different types of people just trying to get out there, and yes, I had some very good conversations with some EDM people, with some, like, pop people, and with some rock people, but for the most part... Nobody really talked to anybody else but their group of people. And I'm like, what? This this seems so weird to me. I'm not used to this. I'm used to being able to walk into a room and everybody's talking to everybody. Everybody's being friends. Everybody's just being chill. And even if they're like not quotation marks friends or being respectful. But I think that's so interesting that you mentioned the the segregation part of it because I never noticed it until the last year and a half or so when I started going to more events. That was interesting. I feel that, you know, going back to the the Canadian music, like the CMWs in Toronto and, uh, you know, Breakout West, I think it's in Yellowknife this time. Yeah, they were um, in Yellowknife. They just finished They just it. finished yeah. it up. That's right. There's a lot of times where you're going to 
run into artists and bands that they might be just starting out or they might be like two or three years into it and they haven't kind of played the game enough. And those are the types that you kind of sense that elitism from mm-hmm. them because they, they think they're doing something new. They think they're doing something, whatever they're doing is fresh and new and what everyone else is doing is is old and tired. I mean, I'm not speaking from every band no. out there. There's a lot of really, really cool, oh, yeah, cool, totally, awesome yeah. bands who are cool, cool people. Yep. We did run into that a little bit, uh, the, the times that we went to CMW, where there was, you know, there there were some acts that were a little bit, I wouldn't want to say snooty, but, you know, they, they felt like they were cream of the crop and everyone else that they met were somewhat beneath them or, you know, they, they had this attitude, even though they are also an emerging artist and in no higher spot than anyone else. Rock has those kinds of people. Oh. They have that ego in there. I'm not saying country music doesn't, but I think everyone understands, especially in Alberta country music, that you can have an ego, but you're also expected to back that up mm. every time. And you, you know, they'll they'll forgive you for maybe having a bad day every now and then because everybody's friends in the industry and everyone has an off time. But, yeah. you know, in a place like that in Toronto where you might only have one chance with somebody and then you don't get another one. Canada's not that big in population, but it's a big country. How, how often does A&R get over your little BC band from Quinnell because you went to CMW once, you know, and you're you're playing at the Occidental and you're like, yeah, you know, we told this guy at CMW that we're playing here. Hopefully he shows up. And which, but I've heard that before, you know. Really? Oh yeah, like there's, I can't even, I'm not, I do remember the band name, but I'm not going to say it. No. Um, they were playing Prince George and that was one, of, they had that kind of attitude. They were just like, yeah, you know, we had a really good conversation at one of these round tables, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, he seemed generally interested in us and, uh, I don't know, maybe he'll fly out here and see us for this gig. And it was one of those gigs where they had one of their buddies on the bill and there was maybe 15 people there. And you know what I mean? And, you know, they were thinking that this is their big break. And you're like, well, okay, this is not the overnight success thing that you think you know. It's, you know, you need to do this for five years first and fail a bunch of times and understand why why this business works the way it does. It's yeah. no one's going to work with you unless you make them money. And when you're drawing 10 or 15 people to your show, uh, you're not making anybody money at that point. No, <laughs> like that's what we're kind of talking about. We'll get more into that, of course, like what to expect when you book a venue and maybe why they are or are not booking you. We're going to talk about that reason. You brought up a really good point, which I'll bring up here in a second. Uh, but we're going to go back to the fact that you are a freelance bass player, rhythm guitar and drummer. You book shows, you do sound for events now as well. That's what I mean when apparently, I said. Apparently, yeah. Wow, apparently, you do a lot. <laughs> apparently, I'm a sound guy now, which is, it, it was weird. I, I, I handed out a bunch of business cards that that uh, because I was doing all of these things, well, I was like, well, I'm just going to put everything on this business card on the back of it and then have a pen and circle what we talked about because a lot of the time you don't even remember why you I talked to people. I saw you do that. You actually said, and here's what I do. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. And, and anyone else that was like, okay, and we talked about these two things, you know what I mean? So it'd be like drummer and backup vocals or something along the lines of that. But, uh, you know, it did get a lot of a lot of interest based on the fact that I have stage management experience and, and, and technical direction and everything like that. And it, that kind of helps out, especially an emerging artist who may not have ever written a tech writer before, who and some of them have never done a stage plot before. You know, there's ways to do it online that are fairly easy, but at the same time, some really haven't. And the odd emerging artists that are actually getting somewhere may not have never done that before. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, we're going to get into the tech writer and the stage plot in a second because you're right. Some musicians haven't done that before. I didn't even write that in my notes because I didn't even know that was a thing either. So we're going to bring that up here too. But uh, today you're here specifically to talk about booking shows as someone who does that. And when and how did you get started booking shows more regularly? I'm going to be brutally honest on how I got into booking. Okay. I had a chip on my shoulder. Dude, tell us about this chip on your shoulder. I'm not, I'm not going to mention the artist. Oh, no, don't mention it. Like, we're not going to mention names but, uh, here. I like to keep but it kosher. I, but for, I had a problem with one, apparently. I, I wasn't aware of it until <laughs> well after. And I got the idea of, well, you know what? If, if they want to go out of their way to not work with me, whatever, I am going to do more of this so at some point they'll have no choice but to call me, regardless of the situation. Mm -hmm. Got a couple of rooms here and there as a, as a pub, you know, like pub rooms doing solo acoustic stuff. That's the kind of the thing that, we're, that, I, that I specialize in. I got another room, and I got another room, and then I got another room. And then sooner or later, I figured that, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to them. I'm going to let them come to me. And that was the whole reason. It was, it was really a power move in order to, to have someone who originally didn't like what I was doing or for whatever reason, I don't even know at this point because I'm not even sure what happened. And I wanted them to open the dialogue with me in the end, in which, in the end, it happened. And it was very, it was very liberating. And it was, albeit slightly manipulative, because it was like, I want you to come and talk to me and have it be your idea to do it. And that was part of the reason. But then, all of a sudden, I realized that, you know, I kind of like this, though. I kind of, I kind of, it, it, it falls within my skill set. It allows me to be a salesperson. It allows me to talk about something that I feel very, very strongly about. It allows me to sell something that I believe in, that I know works, that I know makes money. Once I got to that point, it was really easy for me to keep expanding and to keep adding rooms and to keep lengthening my roster and finding new artists. And uh, you know, also being able to help them develop their live show, even though it's only a solo acoustic thing, it still teaches them how to read a crowd. It still teaches them on how to pump up a crowd. It also teaches them, hey, I'm here for a reason. I'm here to sell beer. It teaches them how to sell certain things that are in that particular venue in order to push more beer or to push more food or to, you know, to get the bill totals up so that they have a bigger take at the end of the night. I, I mean the venue. Mm -hmm. And then they'll like you for that because you are actually selling. You're, you're trying to push what they're selling. And that is what makes the money. And that kind of... It got me a little bit because I was like, I, I, I like this kind of thing where you are responsible for a, a 10 or 15 or even a 20% increase in sales that particular night because of the live music and because someone knew how to sell beer. They knew how to sell the special. Mm -hmm. They knew how to do those things. They know how to play certain songs that make you dance and thirsty too. Very much so. You gotta, you sweat it out, you need to drink more. Yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> They should market it like that. You're sweating it out while you're dancing. Just hydrate. Yeah, with hydrate. Beer. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to work on that. Scotch and water. You won't even be hungover the next day. Not Come at on. all. Vodka water. Yeah. Gin and water. That's how I roll. <laughs> so you actually had a show get canceled this weekend, the weekend that this is being 
recorded. Mm -hmm. um, so you did a sales call, essentially, is what you call it for when you're booking. Do you have a process when you go into these venues or what venues you look at or what kind of places you want your musicians to play in? Like, how do you do it? How do you approach these venues? Most of the time, I talk about it in, in a way that I cold call. And it's, I never, never, ever, ever, ever cold call. I really don't like doing it. It's, it's one of those things that... Um, well, it, it, it paints you in a certain color right off the bat. And one of the things that I prefer to do is I just prefer to go into these places and actually in, enjoy myself first and foremost. I'll go in there. I don't drink, but I'll go in there and buy a non-alcoholic beer or something like that, or I'll have a meal or whatever. And I'll usually go on a night where maybe it's not so busy as it should be on a Friday night or a Saturday night. And that allows me to kind of gauge the room. So once I get there three or four or five times, that's when I'll ask for a manager and be like, hey, this is a great place you got here, but I, I have an idea and I want to run it by you. And then I've probably already been talking to said manager a couple of times before that. There's already a relationship developed. They don't even know what I do at this point. When it's when I feel like it's time to have that conversation, by the way, this is what I do. They already kind of know me. They already kind of know what I'm about. They they They've seen me in there a bunch of times and they're like, okay, this isn't a total stranger. This isn't a total cold call. And then I give them my pitch. The pitch changes based on what the room is, but um, it's usually a pitch that involves the statement of here is how I can make you more money and still make money myself. And this is how I can do it. Once you get to a point where you can, how do I put this in? You, you would want to make them believe that if they were going to start this and if they were to ever end it, that they would notice a big difference in their sales for that particular night if they were to ever cut live music mm -hmm. at that point. And then they'll be like, well, we can't live without this now because it, it it's actually increased our revenue. And now that we don't have it, even though it was costing us X amount of dollars, it was also bringing in 40 or 50 percent of a, of a, we'll call it a profit margin based on what the live music costs, what my services cost. All of a sudden, they're going to be missing that income. And then some bean counter in their management is going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're having a shortage of this much on this particular day. What's going on? You know, the accountant's not going to realize, you know, or may not realize what that was, that little cost was. But then they're like, well, that cost has disappeared, but all this margin disappeared too. Where did it go? I've had that happen a couple of times over the last couple of years with venues that have canceled live music and then called me three months later saying, we need to bring this back because we're, we're missing some income here. Not only that, but it allows them to turn over product as well. Even if they don't make money off of that live music, they're still selling that much more and they're turning over old product. Mm -hmm. which is always a good thing. That way they have less waste. They have less returns. They're moving food, which is always a good thing. That way you're not throwing a bunch of money in the garbage. Thanks for joining us for Studio B this week. My name is Sarah Scott, your host, here to talk about a really cool group run out of Calgary. They support both new and established writers right here in Alberta. You've heard Char talk about them quite a few times. They are Canada's largest independent songwriters group. They've going strong for 16 years which is super awesome you probably know who i'm talking about the calgary songsmiths these guys are awesome i've had the opportunity to go to two of their sessions one 
on a regular Tuesday night, and then one was a summer school session with the Northern Pikes. And both times I was so inspired as not just a writer, but also as an industry professional. And I was so happy with what they are and have been doing for new and established writers, singers, songwriters, and emerging independent artists. They have workshops, resources, mentoring opportunities to perform, and educational sessions on different aspects of the songwriting business. There are no membership fees, and the sessions are open to all ages. They gather every third Tuesday of the month at Waves Coffee House in the Southwest 30 Springboro Boulevard Southwest. You can find out more details on their Facebook page under Calgary Songsmiths on Instagram or on Twitter and make sure you keep checking back for updates on sessions and events on their Facebook or Instagram pages as well. The Calgary Songsmiths keep doing what you're doing. I absolutely love it and I'm happy to get the word out for you. We were talking on Made in Alberta a couple of months ago. I really liked when you mentioned and you talked about why venues are lacking live music, no longer booking live music as much, maybe not doing it at all, but not as much, and how venues are using it as a moneymaker and are honing in on it and how it's also the musicians that are also responsible for promoting their shows. You kind of talked about that before where these musicians can bring in money because they're good at you know, selling the product that they have. They're good at bringing in people and those kinds of things. But let's talk about that again, why venues may be lacking live music or no longer booking live music as much, uh, but also how it is also the artist's responsibility to promote their shows and make sure that these venues are getting what they need. Well, I'll put a disclaimer out there right away that although I've been doing this for a while, there's probably going to be a talent buyer or a booker out there that's going to be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? I can only speak from my experience in a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. There there could be some stuff that I'm missing considering the kind of shows that I've done. If there's if there's any questions out there about, you know, you getting into thousand seat venues and stuff like that, that's a question for the bigger agencies that do those shows. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the kind of uh, kind of shows that I do, which are solo acoustic. You're expected to draw, you know, a couple, but no thousand people. And there's not yeah. a big rental fee. There, you don't have to worry about, you know, a whole big production fiasco and all those things. I well, just yeah. wanted to throw that disclaimer out. A lot there. of musicians that we're talking to here on this podcast are going to be booking the thousand place venues. Hopefully, they are. Yeah, <laughs> I guarantee there will be a few that'll have a conversation like that. As in, you know, why isn't Cressman looking at me? Why isn't Sakamoto looking at me? Why why don't they pay me any attention? You've got to start somewhere, and you know, to those people, I would suggest you listen to this podcast because it might <laughs> give you a hand. Now, when it comes to venues, and I'll also include some of the venues that hire bands for cover reasons, your casinos, your places like Ralph's, Ranchman's, anywhere else that does that kind of thing. Ultimately, what the venue themselves want out of this, they want to be able to have some sort of return on investment on these bands that are coming in. And I think one of the things that the musician, the artist, I guess you would call them, or the performer, they have to realize is that you're being paid to entertain, but you're also paid to bring your draw in. That part has never, ever, ever changed since the beginnings of live music. The reason people get hired to do these things is because they bring people in. That has never, ever changed. There is a mentality out there on the the part of some musicians that think, well, it's the venue's job to promote it. I don't have to bring in people. There is that attitude out there. And it was like, it's asinine to me. What are you actually selling then? Like, are you, you're selling entertainment? Cool. You're there to entertain the people that are there. Okay, I get that. 
but that's only going to account for about maybe 35 to 50 percent of the people that would really fill that place. Those are people that go to that particular place all the time. So it's actually the band's responsibility to bring in a chunk of the other one. That's what they're actually being paid for. Even back in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, like I didn't personally play in these decades, but my father did. He saw it six nights a week for God knows how many years. He was in a house band in uh, Vancouver, I think a decade. He saw it every night, and it was bands that would be doing well are the ones that drew, and those are the ones that got the work. As long as any artist can keep that in mind, saying, this is your opportunity to help build your draw. You need to bring in people. Like it's When it comes to those pub musicianship kind of things that I'm doing, the acoustic solo stuff, you're not expected to bring in 50 people. You're expected to bring in a couple of tables. You know, bring 10. 10 chances are is going to pay for you being there because they're gonna probably, you know, they'll probably run up a $20 tab each. You know, that's 200 bucks right there. It's probably gonna be more. That's all you're supposed to do. And a place like Ranchman's that pays whatever they pay or pays like Ralph's or whatever, that's a bigger venue. So, you know, if you can bring in 30 or 40 people, that's probably what you should be able to do. If you are worth your salt as a paid artist, you're not just paid to bring in, or you're not just paid to entertain the people that are there. You're expected to bring in a draw, and that's always been that. Way. Now, there might have been a period in the 70s or 80s, especially when that Urban Cowboy movie came out, and all of a sudden everybody was dressed like like they were from Texas. So there was a bit of a bulge there. There was a lack of good entertainment. I think that's where some of that mentality might have come up, is because. There were venues out there that were just trying to bring in entertainment in order to take advantage of this bubble. I think there were some artists and there were some musicians that got fat off that and got used to that. And then once the recession hit in the 90s and then live music demand started to go down along with the fact that, you know, towards the end of the 2000s, there's been other forms of entertainment that keep people from going out. So now it's mostly people who can actually bring in people are the ones that are making all the money. The venues themselves now are seeing this and they're like, well, if you don't bring in people, we're, we're not going to hire. And they're noticing that there's a lot of the people that they've been hiring over the last decade have, haven't been bringing in anybody. Maybe that could be a reason why they're cutting back on live music because they may not know how to find these bands or find these artists that can actually draw 20, 30, 40 people. Like there are people who can, you know, that's why they do so well is because they know that they are required to bring in people in order to keep the work going. That's not dispelling the fact that the venue has their responsibilities as well. They need to promote in-house. They need to make sure that their regulars know that there's stuff going on every weekend. They need to tell people, hey, they need to be all over their social media, which some venues aren't very good at when it comes to the live music. They're not willing to push that because they feel that it is the artist's responsibility to do that, but they don't realize that it's a two-way street. I guess that's funny that you say that because it takes three seconds to post something on Instagram, a quick picture saying, hey, Ben Chase is playing here, or hey, Foxworthy's playing here, or hey, like, ask for a promo picture from the band, and then they're gonna send you one because they want people to come out. They want to support that venue as well. So yeah, I get where you're coming from, but it takes like three seconds to post on Instagram. You can put it to Facebook, you can put it to Twitter, you can put it to like whatever social platform you're on in like three to four minutes. 
Now, I'm not blasting all venues no, for not, no, no, for not, no. a lot of them do it. A lot of them are, are quite diligent about it as well. But, you know, it's, it seems like some of these conversations that I have with both musicians and both venues about, about the age old quote argument that's not really an argument about whose job it is. Mm-hmm. It's both y'alls. <laughs> <laughs> both y'alls. <laughs> both of you have Y'all jobs country. to do. And, and right now there's a lot of venues that, and there, there's also a lot of artists that are not willing to do either job. So what it actually does is it lowers the value of live entertainment because, well, if I'm not supposed to draw, then, you know, then what, you know, I'll just come in here and make the money. Well, I guess now that venue is going to be like, well, you're supposed to draw. So, uh, you know, now we're not going to make any money. So why would we have live music? What, like a venue isn't just going to support live music blindly because a musician puts up a Facebook post saying support live music and tag any venues that should do it, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, you have to understand that these people are, they're, they're business people. They're here to make money. You're here to make money. So how can you both make money? You have to get into that mentality before you even think about booking shows. There's a time where you have to hone your craft. You have to go up and play. You have to play with a band. You have to get good. You know, you, you, the rehearsal spot can only do so much. Um, your bedroom can only do so much. You need to play in front of people. You need to do those things. And there's lots of opportunities to do that. There are open mics everywhere. Yeah, you're not getting paid. Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird thing that a venue is just going to put on an open mic and blah, 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 and you know think that they're getting free entertainment. On the other hand, they're also getting a stage and a chance to play in front of people that they don't have to organize themselves. And chances are there's a, you know, they may get a beer or two tab out of it. Maybe there's some places that do it, some that don't. But it's run by somebody who is being paid to be there. And they're there as their own feature. And they're usually getting paid 100, 150 bucks for their trouble. Mm-hmm. And so they are technically paying for something. But, you know, I think, I think the open mic has a bad rap Although I also think that venues needlessly take advantage of it, mm-hmm. especially people who are trying to break in, who are willing to do it for free. That's those are the people that you're like, okay, you're ruining it for everyone else. This is how you're supposed to do it. But in Edmonton, a really good one is being run at uh, at Sherlock Holmes uh, West Edmonton Mall by a good buddy of mine, Benjamin Williams, and he goes out of his way to bring in people that are trying to get better at what they're doing and they're, he's he's helping provide the stage and you know he's got people in there that'll give him advice here and there as well to how to be better performers how to be better artists how to be more captivating you know they're actually helping them instead of just being like yeah just bring in everybody to fill in the time we just need content you know working in radio you can understand that part of it that sometimes you just need to bring in some content and when you don't got any you got to scrape the bottom of the barrel definitely i don't like calling it scraping at the bottom of the barrel because i feel like that's really offensive but (laughs) just like i've definitely had to do that like even these last couple weekends on made in alberta i've had a couple segments where i'm like i'm just gonna tell you news that i've seen on facebook you know from other musicians i've definitely been there but i actually didn't think i was going to bring this up but when you started talking about open mic nights i thought that's actually really interesting topic because you don't have to book to be a part of an open mic night. You can just show up, play your music, like three to four songs each is what they usually offer. I think that they're an amazing opportunity to maybe showcase a brand new song that you want to test out with an audience, you know, and a very accepting audience for that matter because they're there to enjoy some live music. Or maybe you want to try a cover song out that you haven't tried before. Or maybe you just really, really love a song and you haven't been able to perform it on a different stage, but this is your chance to. And they're not like singer-songwriter circles. You can't go tell them the main story behind the song, but it kind of gives you the opportunity to do that a bit too. Like, here's why I like this song. Mm -hmm. And the audiences are fairly super receptive. 
and I don't know if this is the right question to ask, but it's definitely a question, but I feel like they're becoming so popular these days, these open mic nights. Like I'm seeing pop up everywhere. Like even right here in High River, there's about four or five of them right now in High River and it's a small town. Do you think that is a bit saturated or do you think that is a good thing? Because I've been to two of them and unfortunately it's so hit or miss. Like some weeks it's like, cool, there's like four or five people that go up, which is a lot for that one. Or there's two of the same people going up every single 20 minutes. That's just my personal experience. I have. I actually have an answer to this question, and it's a really simple answer. It's whoever's running the open mic. They're the actual draw. They are the ones that are supposed to be looking for these guys. Like it's not just you go in there, do your. It's the lazy way to do it. You go in there, you do your feature, and then hope these people show up. No, no, no. It's you do what Ben does. You make calls. You be like, hey, you know what? I'm. I'm. I have a feeling that I'm going to be short some guys here. Why don't you come in and at least fill some time for me? You know what I mean? It'll give you an opportunity. He'll actually make the phone call. Ultimately, it's it's his ass. Mm-hmm. If people don't come into this open mic, they're firing him. They're like, nobody's coming in. Why are we doing this? So that's why he's like, he's on the horn. He's like, he, he calls me a lot saying, listen, I've got this really cool feature coming in. This is actually going to be worth time. He's asked questions about the circuit, blah, 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 blah. I want you to come in and see him. He's got, he wants some advice on how to move forward, blah, 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 blah. And I'll show up because it's like, okay, then uh, then that's a reason for me to go. I'm usually going anyway, yeah. but because it's a good way to scout talent. Mm-hmm. That's another reason why a lot of players would want to come and do these open mics every now and then because people like me show up to these places because they are always looking for fresh blood all the time. And that's kind of the same with me. Like, I go to open mic nights because with me in Alberta, like you said, sometimes we don't have a lot of content and it's kind of nice to get some fresh faces, you know, and not have the same seven people for three months, you know? So be like, hey, that was kind of cool. Is that an original? If they say yes, because sometimes I don't know all the music in the world. Sometimes I'd like to think I do. Um, and they're like, yes, it is. I'm like, come play that on my show. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's worth it kind of a thing. There's competing open mics. They're not in Edmonton. They're, they don't compete because they're on two different sides of the city. But both of them do very, very well because there's one... It's a guy that's been doing it for 10, 15 years, and he's always bringing in good people, and he's always, he, he, there's, it's always full. The list is always full. And, you know, Ben's starting to get that way too, but they happen on the same night. So you're thinking like they, but they still do well because of the people who are running them that understand that, listen, it's, I'm the one being paid. So really it's my job to make sure people are coming in, you know, and that's where the venue who is also doing a lot of uh, promotion for this open mic on their social media and they're doing it in house, they're doing their part. So now it's the open mic's job, the, or the, the, the person running the open mic to do their part mm-hmm. and their part is to bring in people. And that comes from that thing that we talked about just earlier, the venue's job and the performer's job. Mm-hmm. So both of them are doing their job. There's more people coming in and chances are those open mic people, they're going to want to buy a beer in order to have some liquid courage to get up there, especially if it might be their first time on stage or maybe their second time or maybe they're trying this new song that they feel a little bit weird about it, you know, about their you know cat that ran away and it's really tough for them and, and everything like that. And it's the only reason I say that is because the saddest song ever written, in my opinion, is by the Weaker Thens and it's called Virtute Explains Her Departure. Virtute the Cat Explains Her Departure. And it was like... I was like, John Kay, you're an asshole for writing this song because it was so sad and it was so introspective and it wasn't nail on the head. That was the thing about it. So if you want to listen to a sad song, by the way, Weaker Thans, uh, it's on the Reunion Tour album. It, it just hurts. Cuts deep. Uh, it's, I don't even want to spoil. The fact that it 
it's about a cat too. That amazes me. Oh, I I love that song, and I go out of my way sometimes not listen to it. When I'm listening to the record, I'll skip it because it's like I can't handle this right now. Go listen to the songwriter podcast because you're gonna want to write a song like that. It's gonna make Cody just like I can't. I, I can't, can't even. Can't even do it. Oh god. <laughs> uh, but you know, with the open mic stuff, yeah, that's that's how you keep an open mic from failing. Is that you actually have to put the time in finding new people to come to this open mic that's that's the open mics person's job is to bring the performers in well one of them that i go to on a regular basis they were actually really good with coming to me and being like hey can we get this on the radio like hey can we talk about this hey can you help promote this like they weren't afraid to be like can we get the word out i'm going out and telling my friends like you should go to this open mic night it's pretty cool they have a good sound system like the guy that runs is pretty awesome he'll help you out i have a new person coming actually next wednesday which is awesome i got one person out but even i'm trying to help them out just because i think what they're doing is pretty awesome and i push open mic nights on people i'm like go you know you're starting out you have a new single a brand new single that is not on radio go promote it there i'm gonna mention i'm gonna mention an artist that doesn't miss one they don't miss an open mic and it's cat zell she is so good she goes to all of them if she i don't if she misses one I, i i'd be surprised but she all of them it goes out of her way to perform that's one of the reasons why she is I feel like she's climbing a ladder a little quicker than you'd think someone who's starting where they're at should. And it's it's because she's out there playing. She's she's got this look to her that you don't forget who she is. Nope. Right? But she doesn't miss those things. She made a list of every single open mic in the city and hits all of them. Or tries anyways, yeah. does her best. She also picks the good ones, the ones that make sure that there's a lot of people at and everything like that. There's a really good one at the Dirtbag Cafe in Edmonton. There's a couple of other really good ones that are not just, you don't just play your classics all the time. There's a lot of songwriter ones and there's quite a few of them that do very well. But there's also a few of them that come and go <laughs> because they give up. That's a thing you can't do in this industry. No, it you gotta be too. You gotta be too stupid to quit. <laughs> I, you are not the first person to say that. Like, you just can't. And I think, uh, I honestly think that that term was coined by Andrea Nixon. It was it was a while ago. It was like a, it was a regular made in Alberta thing. Yeah, something like that yeah. or whatever. And I never forgot it. Yeah, I then Char Morrison said it. And yeah. then like, I think, well, then I remember you said it on Made in Alberta again. And then I was even talking with somebody else the other day. Not you or Char Morrison on, or Andrea, but I can't remember who it was. It was a musician, and they said, I heard this from somebody. I can't remember who I heard it from, but it can't be stupid, like too stupid to quit. Like they actually said that. I'm like, I've heard that before. So, yeah, I've heard that about four times in a month. And it's so true. Like, you just can't give up. And that is why open mic nights, I gotta say this, but the, I think the best one that I went to actually, the place doesn't exist anymore. It's called The House in Kensington. It doesn't, it hasn't existed for like 10 years. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. remember it. The play, whole place is now a burger place. And it was a good open mic night. Mm. They had a ton of people out every night. They had different genres every night. They had classics. They had songwriters. They had everybody. And a lot of people actually got their start there. I have one more question to ask before we get into the independent musician booking their own shows here. We got a little tangent there, but I love that topic so much. I didn't think I was going to bring it up. Open mic nights for sure. But uh, talking about when you go to these open mic nights or you go to these shows and you want to find that fl- flesh, <laughs> that fresh blood. <laughs> you gave me a look there for a second. <laughs> fresh meat. Carna <laughs> fresca. It is spooky season. It is. Um, <laughs> what is your personal process for selecting bands and musicians 
to play at certain venues? Do you choose an artist that would work best where you find them a place or do they ask you, can you book me a show here? I primarily do these these pub bookings. That's what, yeah. you know, but yeah. I do have quite a bit of experience in, in booking build shows. And to tell you the truth, it really always, 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 80% of the time comes down to what can you draw. Okay. It's, it's really what that is. That's what we're and really honing in on today. Yeah, unfortunately, even even for the cover acts, I mean, it's even when I was doing my rounds yesterday in Calgary, and I was I was encountering every single act that were were playing. I didn't get the name of one of them because there was no banner. There was no way to there was no way to figure out who they were. There was nothing on the walls. There was nobody knew. I didn't even know who these people were. I lost interest. I left. Mm-hmm. But a couple of times, you know, there was the name. There was uh, advertisements and posters in the venue. I found who they were. Their socials were there. Checked them out. And they are super active. They are super engaging. Mm-hmm. And they have a fan base. I checked everybody else that was on that poster. They were super active on social media. They were super engaging on their actual websites. You could tell they had a fan base because of the places that they were playing. And it was like, okay, you know that these guys could probably draw in 10, 20, 30, 40 people. Okay, cool. That's a reason to hire any act, honestly, regardless of how good they are. You know, like they could be absolutely horrifyingly terrible, but... If they bring in 50 of their friends, it's like, well, yeah, absolutely. Come in and make money. They're going to sit there and have a great time. And no one's going to care how bad they are because everyone else is going to be looking where the party is. And they're going to be doing weird. It'll be sound like a campfire anyways. And it's going to be a party no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. That being said, if you're not solid on your repertoire, if you're, you know, it, it, I'll, I'll usually ask for a song list. What do they got going on? And if I, if I hear the term, if I have, you know, I've got about... 30 or 40 songs, blah, 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 blah. I'll usually be like, okay, double that and then call me. Because I I can't sell 30 or 40. I can sell 60 or 70 if you're good and if you have a draw. I can't sell less than that because you need to be in the position where, you know, you can adapt on the fly or take requests or both. And most of the time I'll be like, if they ask me, hey, what's it going to take in order to break into this this circuit? Uh, It's going to be like, Take the top 25 artists, like 25 selling artists in the world from 19, we'll say 60 or whatever, whatever decade that you want to maybe not go too far back in, depending on what kind of demo you're going to be playing for. 60, like 50s and 60s stuff may not go over as well as other places. You take those top 25 artists and learn their three most popular songs and you'll have 75 barn burners right there. In a snap of a finger, of course, you know, learning all those songs and, you know, some of them might be out of their range. They might have to look elsewhere. Not everybody can sing Don't Stop Believing. Not everybody can sing Your Love by the Outfield. Like, it's not everyone can get there. Not everyone can do more than a feeling because, mm-hmm. you know, they may not have or they may have to change the key or do a different style about it. However, you got to get there. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you have 75 songs right there. And then, you know, fill the other 25 with all the one-hit wonders between 1970 and now. Yeah. And you have something that is far better than some of the people that I see that have been at it for 15 or 20 years that refuse to learn new material. And you're already better than them. Then after that, all you need is some stage presence, a little bit of, you need to get a little seasoning going on. You know, you got to get better at your craft, learn how to read a crowd. But you have those 100 tunes. Yeah, they're classics. Yeah, everybody plays them. But if you don't have them in your repertoire, what, what are you even doing? 
Yeah. Like, what, what, why are you even doing this? No one's going to care about your really, really special version of some Pearl Jam B-side from 1992 that four people have heard in the city but is absolutely known to Pearl Jam fans. No one's going to fucking care about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but some of these guys want to hear Wagon Wheel twice a night. I mean, get behind it. I know. it's. I personally, you know what? I'll go on the record right now to any performer that complains about doing Sweet Caroline and doing Sweet Home Alabama and all of those classics and whatever. Here's what I tell you guys. It, that's a day off. That's a song you don't have to think about. All you, your, your hands and your mouth play that song without... You could be thinking about what you're going to eat afterwards. Or you could be thinking about what you're doing the next day, and you're not going to screw up that song. Like it's, it's not like a mindless thing, no. but it's definitely something that people are going to love. And it's kind of going back to even what Char said in the songwriter thing. People like to listen to what they know, you know? And that's what they're getting paid to do, is to sing to people what they know. Sure. And for people to enjoy, and to people to dance to. I'm actually going to make this a two-parter, because we're going on an hour. But before we do break off into the second part about the independent musician booking their own shows, we'll talk about this, because it kind of ties in... For an emerging artist, an independent artist, what stages do you think that they need to go on first? Is it the open mic nights? Should they just be like, you know what, let's try actually booking a real show and see how I do? Or do you think that they should promote themselves first a little bit more before doing anything? Uh, okay, well, it, it, it goes with any kind of sales tactic. If you have a product to sell and if it's good, nobody's going to buy it if they don't know what it is or who you are or what it is or, or have no way to buy it. Mm -hmm. If they don't know about you, they're not opening their wallets for you. The purpose to booking your own show and showcasing what you can do is all based on how many people you can get out to that show. I feel like that is what we're really just pushing. Like, I'm sorry, but that's, no, 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 that's, I love that's it. all it is. Because it's, it's so it's true. Really, yeah, yeah, it's 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 all, it, like, I'm more apologizing to the people who are listening to this that we're trying, it sounds like we're beating a dead horse. It's but, open, honest conversations. But, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's not, but it's like, no one's going to buy what you're trying to sell if nobody wants it. You think if I'm selling eggs... Uh, people open the eggs and even though they're perfectly good eggs there's a brown one in there somewhere some people aren't gonna like that some people would rather have all brown eggs they want they want all they want everything to be uniform it's the same thing with if you not everybody is going to like your electro pop yodeling but some people will if you find them but if they don't know you exist they're not going to buy your stuff so you'll have to build your brand you have to tell people that you do this you have to that's where you might have to start at those open mics in order to you take your banner with you that has all of your stuff on it and say i've got a new album coming out i'm trying to i'm trying to build a draw i'm trying to do this so i can you know that's when you can go to places like the marquee or whatever it's called now you know, even though it's a that's a thousand seat venue, but imagine, have you ever been to the Almanac? In, no, I haven't, but I've heard of it. It's lovely. It's a it's, it's about eighty seats ish, I think, and then that's the kind of place that you would want to be. Like, you know what? I I feel like I've got enough people behind me. I've done enough of these open mics. I've done enough of these little things in order to stimulate some interest in this album that I have coming out. I have a bunch of friends coming out. You know what? I've got about forty or fifty people. I'm gonna find another act that can maybe draw twenty or 30 and have them open be like hey bring your friends let's fill this place i know i've i know i've got 40 or 50 people i want to rent the almanac and let's put on this two-person show and i'll have it as my cd release party and we're gonna sit and drink and have a good time and i'm gonna play the 12 songs off the record and then maybe some obscure radiohead cover and then we're you know we're, we're gonna put on the show and it's gonna look great 
and the bar's gonna make money and we're gonna make money from ticket sales and it's gonna be awesome. But you had to start somewhere. If you wanna book the show first, cool. You know, if you wanna get that experience of playing on a stage, say if you're a band and you, you want that experience, okay. It's a little bit more difficult for the bands, but there are stages in, I know in Edmonton for sure, that have open jams, full band, all day and you could always be like listen we want to try something with our band and you know for those artists that are that have bands behind them and want to get a little bit of experience playing on a stage there are options out there but for those that want to actually put on a show and if they feel like they can bring enough people out you know there's there's options out there you look for the 75 80 seat venues that do live music that preferably would maybe have a, a pa on site and maybe they might have their own sound person. You might have to get your own. There are a couple of places where they'll be like, hey, you know what? If you want to put on a show here, we'll let you. The Woodrat Cafe in Edmonton is like that. They don't have a PA, but they're like, hey, if you want to bring in everything, we'll just let you play. Go ahead. You want to charge at the door? Go ahead. You know, really? have at her. Go ahead. Really, there's a lot of places that would be willing to do that if you can show that you can make them money. It it's just comes down to people's 30 points, man. If, if, if you're doing work, you want to be paid for it, right? <laughs> Once again, thanks so much for listening to Studio B this week. Well, Studio B was actually inspired by another show that I do that I am going to shamelessly plug away because it is what I love so, so much. And like I said, it was one of the main motivators for me to branch out and do this podcast, Studio B. It does not have a podcast itself due to copyright and company situations and stuff like that but you can hear it 9 a.m on saturdays and 3 p.m on sundays on 99.7 sun country or at 11 a.m on a.m 11:40, and you can also stream it live on hyperbronline.com i am talking about the one and only made in alberta so sun country and am 11:40 and golden west they are a proud supporter of alberta country music and we love shining the light on our local music i branch out i do some folk I do some blues, I do some rockabilly, and I throw in some pop sometimes and some outlaw rock and greaser country. I love all genres. What can you say? That is what Studio B is all about as well. The other reason I'm bringing it up is because I want to say thanks to Sun Country for letting me use the studio to do the production of Studio B right now because my computer decided to crash at home. So I want to give a shout out to those guys and also make sure you tune in to Made in Alberta to hear some awesome Alberta talent and I support all genres and from all over the world but Maiden Alberta is my baby and like I said it it is one of the main reasons I got into Studio B and wanting to support and really help and encourage emerging and independent artists to pursue their dreams of music in any genre because I got friends in all genres of music so I'm not just gonna pinpoint any genre music in Studio B. It's for all genres, but made in Alberta. It is specifically for like country, blues, folk, and some pop country and rock country and outlaw country and all that kind of stuff. But make sure you join us made in Alberta on the weekends. You can check out uh, the Sun Country Facebook or the highriveronline.com blog for more information on how you can also be a part of made in Alberta if you have a new song or you have some awesome news you wanna share or anything in between. Make sure you get a hold of me for Made in Alberta. I feel like we're sending people to Edmonton. <laughs> we're like, well, go to Edmonton the, the to play. Only, yeah, the, the reason I'm saying Edmonton is because I don't know Calgary. You know, yeah, yeah. And you're getting to know Calgary, which is good, but I feel like this is kind of a general 
thing for all venues in a sense. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, Calgary. I'm sure they have their venues that are 70 to 80 people. Like they've got their places oh, yeah. like that. Uh, we just did. You were there. We did the Diamonds in the Rough showcase yep. at the CCMAs at the Met, and they went to the trouble of moving all those tables out of the way, and they brought in a stage for us. And I remember talking to Neil. Hey, Neil, by the way, in case you're listening to this. And I was like, at the beginning, I was like, geez, I hope we can make you guys some money. And that was one of the first things I said. And I think that helped endear me to that staff is because I was in the mentality where, hey, let's all make some money here. And this is, you know, this is a good opportunity to be able to get some turnover crowd Mm -hmm. for them so that they can move some product and, and, and have a good profit margin at the end of it. I, I think, I don't think that there was a rental fee paid. I'm not sure about that, but you know, they brought in some stuff at a cost to them. We did all of the production with myself and Saroma and with Chris Bryan's help. Love you, Um, Chris Bryan. Love you. We put on a great show and that ACMA showcase that we did on the Thursday night was gangbusters that was because, good I oh actually it was amazing that i it, didn't expect to and i'm God. like wow this place is packed you know that you know uh, uh, that being said like on t- to those who are listening to this like bill hansen's sound work was great you know uh, the bands that or the the musicians that we were playing with uh like i was on drums i had josh Rizicki on guitar mm-hmm. and sean gristwood on bass but it, uh, it was it was something that I don't think anybody expected, but it turned out to be the place to be that night. And it was like, yeah. I kind of, I, I took a little pride Everyone in it. There. I took a little pride in it because it was like, you know, this is happening because. I'm going to give you some had... props for that one because I was at the Fender party before that and I was so bored out of my face and I didn't say they were doing anything bad. Like the music was amazing, great bands, but I'm just like. It's not really that full. No one's really talking to anybody. But then I was like, okay, I'm going to the ACMA showcase. But everybody was there. Everyone was talking to everybody. Everyone's introducing themselves to everybody. And it was like a big family reunion in a sense. Oh, it was such a good time. We were all just like coming together, hugging. And the sound was amazing. It wasn't too loud because at the other venue, we were all yelling at each other, trying to talk over the music. There was tons of sound mistakes. Like it kept like that really loud screechy noise, you know? So I don't like bad-mouthing them, but I'm like, oh my God, Cody, that was such a good event on Thursday. I was like going to stay later, but I was just so tired from Wednesday night when I stayed up till 2 a.m. Um, I, was, I was told they went through multiple bottles of Patron that night. You're welcome. I'm just yeah. kidding. I had to drive. I did not do I that. knew it was you. I knew it. <laughs> no, that was on Saturday um, and Sunday. And, and I snuck that Patron in. <laughs> in my purse, the size all, of my hand. All that to say, we showed the Metropolitan that yeah. live music can make money. That's all to say that, is yeah. that we, the ACMA and Saroma, we brought in our we own draw. That's what we did. Like, and then and then we they were busy. They were so busy they couldn't keep up on the Thursday night. They couldn't keep up. Definitely. And this kind of actually leads me to my last question of this segment. I didn't think I was going to ask this, but I actually brought it up. If a venue, if they have, in a sense, if they come to you and they ask you to bring in musicians, how do you bring in musicians? Because I'm going to bring up my own analogy of this because I've experienced it. So with the venue here in High River, they're going to be a new brand new collaborative arts center here in town. These guys are awesome. They have summer sessions and they had them for the last two years. But then the year before that, I actually did it with Bandstand Sundays, which is brought on by the Rotary Club. When I was choosing, I put a Facebook post on just my personal Facebook saying, hey, I need musicians for this event on July 29th. Contact me if you want details. I'm going to be honest. I probably had about 50 people contact me saying, 
I want to play it, you know? But I picked musicians, and like you said, who are going to bring a draw, who people know, who are going to bring families and stuff like that. So I wasn't trying to be rude. I was just trying to be like, I want to get these guys, like, some money because, and also the people, because they got tips. They were paid with tips. And also the crowd's a bit older, so I had to kind of, you know, piece to that, but I really didn't appease that. I just brought in people that were good. Um, and I had, and you, and you knew that could bring in a, bring oh yeah, yeah, bring in a crowd. And then this year I decided to go with the venue, mostly because Bandstand Sundays were booked already. I went with the venue for the summer series. So I had a little bit more leeway on what I wanted to bring in. I knew they were getting paid, but once again, I brought in a local person from just south of Okotoks, you know, because they're local high river, she was going to bring people out. I brought in another guy who was an emerging artist who just really appeals to everybody because he's got a classic sound. He's got a very unique kind of way about him on stage. He's really good on stage with his presence and stuff like that. And then I brought in another older gentleman who is like opening up for Terry Clark. He was opening up for like these really big names. And so I had a little bit of mix of everything, you know, but I've definitely been through that process of them asking me to bring in musicians and I had to be selective about it. So when you get asked by venue to bring in musicians, how do you do it? Like I have my process of like relatability, proximity and name. In all honesty, I do do that, you know, like name brings in people, but how do you do it? I have two different approaches. One is for these, these pub musician gigs that I, that I book and the other is for corporate stuff. Okay. And a lot of the time, the corporate stuff, it, it's, it, it can be a little bit different, and I basically just cater to whatever they want. Whatever they they feel like they need, they know their demographic better than I do. So it was pretty easy to be like, okay, what do you, what exactly are you looking for? Like, what, what's the premise of this? Like, let's say it's a fundraiser or something like that. Uh, they'll give me the premise of this, this event. What will come out? And it's like, okay, well, we've got a slightly older crowd, a big time dancing crowd, a bunch of them are part of the swing club and blah, 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 blah. And then that immediately thinks, well, I'm probably going to bring in a 50s or 60s kind of a rock and roll band that's got ties to big band 40s. And there's a couple of them out there that are really, really good that do kind of simplified versions of some of these big band songs that allow people to kind of swing dance and do their thing. Because if there's a big, you know, 30 people from swing club coming, then obviously you're going to want to do some swing, some jazz music, or some swing music, right? You're going to want to do stuff that's got, uh, you know, you want to do a boogie beat or something like that, or like, and there's going to be older people that would want to do foxtrots and seven steps and stuff. Those are the kind of bands that would do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been times where we be like, yeah, well, we, we have a drinking crowd and we want, we want a party band, but we want something different. And the first thing that comes to mind is polka. You know what I mean? So then I'll know to bring in a polka band that I know is going to make them down. And then as the liquor flows, that's when they start dancing to this weird music because they, they're down with it and they don't realize it until they get drunk enough. Next thing you know, it's yielding EDM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, but for the, for, the, for the pub stuff, for the single and duo cover stuff, other than the fact that they are expected to draw their, their two or three tables, their 10 or 15 people based on what they're, they're being paid. Mm-hmm. Repertoire 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 as long as they've got a repertoire that if i look at it and i don't see any question marks you know i don't the the, the kind of stuff that i don't want to see on a repertoire is some album track elvis costello stuff i don't want to see a lot of that but on the other hand it's like if i recognize every song and i know that someone else would recognize maybe 80 percent of them it'd be like okay not a bad list this is pretty good i can work with this mm-hmm. As long as their repertoire is to a point where if someone yells out a request, they could probably do it. And they're usually somebody that I know that even if they don't know the song, they'll try it anyways. 
they'll give it a shot. And that's what I've been trying to instill in my roster is that even if if you've only heard the song a couple of times on radio, you know the verse, you know the chorus, you could probably get away with just those two and then end it minute song tops. And then that possibly drunk person will go home and then remember the next day once someone asks, hey, how did your Friday night go? You know, they're Monday talking around the water fountain. By the way, how'd your weekend go? And he's like, oh man, I went to blank this place and there's this dude that was playing. His name was Sean Griswood and... uh, God, he learned a song right on the spot. He didn't know how to play the song, and I requested it, and he just played it, and he never played it before. That's how it's going to come out. Like, people are going to print the truth. They're, they're going to print the legend. Yeah. They're not going to print the truth. They're not going to print the fact that, oh, he only did a verse and a chorus, and he missed the four in the chorus, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to well, say that. know that. No. <laughs> and that's why, that's why most of the time they'd be like, you know, they love the effort. They love that you went out of your way to give at least something of what they wanted. You tried. And to them, that's not failure. That's them knowing that, whoa, there, there's a performer there that actually cares about the fucking time I'm having. They mm-hmm. want to make sure I'm having a good time. I look for stuff like that. I look, and, and a lot of the time, I have to instill that in the people that I'm kind of trying to bring up. Sean is great at it. He, he'll try anything. As long as he somehow knows it, he'll, he'll kind of think about it and be like, it won't be perfect, but I'll get close. And yeah. then he'll he'll pull it off. And then they'll just remember him as being like, oh, he played a bunch of songs he never played before, blah, 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 blah. And man, he was doing this stuff on the fly. It was amazing, you know? And that's the kind of thing that endears you to people, that you actually go out of your way to give them what they want. Mm-hmm. And and that's it's people like that that I look for. It's Those are the kind of people that get work in the rooms that I book is because I know I can get the money's worth out of them. And they understand the value of building their brand. And they understand that they have to have some signage. There's a couple of people that are coming up that are getting really, really good. Olivia Rose being one of them. She's so good. Oh, she and she's getting, to, she's getting some chops as a pub musician now. And that is helpful in a lot of ways because it, it, it you know, once you get into the bigger crowds and stuff like that, it, it gives you a little bit more experience in how to, you can kind of make them do whatever you want after a little while. Once you get, once you get to a certain level of of showmanship you can almost dictate their movements it's it's kind of weird that way but you know it, and a couple of other people that i'm i'm also bringing up one of them is brenda dirk mm-hmm. i'm giving her a, a little bit more opportunity in order for her to you know make some money but also to help build her draw a little bit and every every place that i've taken her they've just had these there's a, a venue that i book in fort saskatchewan and the manager there is just like i have such a girl crush on brenda dirk right now I have such a girl crush on this person. Like, she's well, fierce, man. Oh yeah, she's a great person too, and that, that she's part of that you know Catzell kind of group, you know, and they're hungry, hungry, hungry people that want to make it. Mm-hmm. And I've got a lot of people like that on the roster now that are sub twenty five that want to take a bite out of these old codgers that have been around for so long. And honestly, some of their draws dwindling because they're getting older, they're getting, they're having kids and all this other stuff. And you know, their marquee song, whatever it is, is just like okay, sex and candy again, awesome. You know, that's another person that. That does this song hooray nobody yep. likes it to begin with why are we doing this still but to answer your question yep. that's I, I look for people who can fit those molds because they are the people that make me look good mm-hmm. so i can find other venues and find them more work yep. and a lot of them understand that you know ben williams he's he's another guy that you know he's he's getting banners made justin hogg another guy that he's like i need to show people that i can do this and you know it's it's starting to work for Sean already now that he got his stuff. Yep. There are people that are coming up taking pictures of the banner so that they can, they don't have to talk to him. They just take a picture and then... Look for him later. Sure. I mean, like, and that's, 
and not enough people do that, unfortunately. And that's the kind of thing that helps the circuit itself grow. And then sooner or later, once they get to a certain point where their draw gets to, you know, if they can if they can get to a point where they can start drawing 30, 40, 50 people, then that's at the point where they outgrow the pubs. So then they're going to start calling the almanacs. They're going to start calling the smaller venues to put on their own shows. Mm-hmm. And instead of making, you know, let's say $250, $300, they can make $1,000 doing one set rather than three and, and clear that kind of money. And not only can they do that in Edmonton, but they can do that in the surrounding areas as well and start making more money based on their own draw. So they kind of get called up to the next tier. So that's ultimately why I'm running it the way I am is to try to bring people up to help build their draws to get them to the next step. Because then there's always going to be people that are going to want to want these spots Mm -hmm. to be able to make a little bit of money playing these songs and getting a little bit more recognition, getting more chops up on stage, and then hopefully helping them build their draw to a point where they can now get into that next tier of 80 seat venues and, you know, try to make a dent that way. Instead of making, you know, 250, 300, they can make six, seven, eight by selling their own tickets Mm -hmm. and putting on their own shows because of all the work that they've done in building their brand. Well, I think that is a great way to end this first segment. Be hungry, you know, that's a big one, like you said. Like, you got to be hungry for these opportunities no matter where they come up. And also be helpful. Don't just expect the venue to promote you, but it's also your job at the same time. And also be a little bit hands-on as well with the venue. Like, help them say they have beer specials or they have food specials or promote the venue itself because they're paying you. So, like, be hungry, helpful, and hands-on. Would you say that's a good way to end this? Yeah, I love the letter H. Cool, me too. (laughs) Well, we are going to come back with part two of Venue Booking with Cody Mack next week. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.